I'm not John. I'm Gene Parmesan, private detective. Gene! <laughs> what the hell Hello. just happened? Welcome to episode 67 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is the editor and chief of the universe. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. Yo, this is John. You can find me on our forums. My title is John. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, we also have the... Uh, need a funny thing for Steven. Need a funny thing for Steven. Um, uh, Steven, Shin Megami Tensei 4 isn't hard enough. Myron? <laughs> yep, that's him. That. Hi. Taylor's on the boards. I'm eating chili. Okay, eat your chili. And then Derek Ferret Town Heemsbergen. That's me. Ferretopolis. I wish I was eating chili, and I'm Embryon on the boards. All right, all right. So today uh, we have two distinct sections for you guys, including regular news. We're going to do a little bit of a discussion on character classes because I was thinking the other day about how uh, I just seem to pick randomly what kind of character I play in any game, and I just thought that that would be a good topic of discussion. And then at the end of the show, we have an interview with some of the guys over who are making Shadowrun Returns. And we did that because the game is due out next week on Steam. I just got my Steam key, and I'm very excited to play some Shadowrun. So, all right. So let's begin the conversation on character classes. I was sitting there thinking, because I was watching a lot of Dragon's Crown videos, and I was kind of making a decision about which character class I wanted to play in Dragon's Crown. And I realized... Hey, that, what? The guy who looks like Sephiroth. No, I'm probably going to play as the elf, honestly. I'm probably going to play as the elf because uh, that gets to our topic of today's discussion, Stephen, which is we're going to talk about character classes and why we make the decisions that we do when we're playing an RPG. Uh, basically, I realize that I, I tend to go for a certain type of character, but it also kind of depends on the mechanics at play. So I just thought, you know, hey, let's talk about some character classes. Let's talk about ones that we like, ones we don't like, why we make the decisions we do. And without further ado, I'm going to pass the mic over to Derek so he can tell us a little bit about what he looks for in a character class. All right. So when I'm picking a character, it depends on a number of factors. Of course, there's no it's not like I always say I'm going to be the mage no matter what. I, I usually am. I usually go for magic classes or pet classes if they exist. Pet classes are my favorite. The problem with that is that they're usually the worst classes in games, especially MMOs. Like in Final Fantasy 11, if anybody's played that, I played Puppet Master and Dragoon. And Puppet Master was the LOL job for a really long time until they unbusted it. So I usually go for, for mages or pet classes. If it's an offline game, um, I almost always play a girl character. Um, not because I have a problem with playing one online. It's, I just mean more like it's a game it's where... Cool. Well, it's more like a game where the characters are defined. Like, like if you play Pokemon, then there's only... You know, there's like a character design for the boy and the girl rather than a custom character that you make. So if they're pre-made characters, I usually choose the girl, given a choice. Uh, I don't know why. I just like playing the girl better. 
And if it's a game, if it's any kind of game where I can create a character, I always make a male. Um, I try to make him as stocky as possible because I'm not stocky in real life. Um, but I like to do like really, really stocky guys that use magic. I don't know why, but that's my thing, like healing or whatever. Um, I usually play healers or buffers um, mm-hmm. when I do mages. Mm-hmm. And I, I yeah. found I found your comments on the the pet class to be very interesting because you know one of my favorite character classes of all time is. You know, hey, I'm going to talk about Diablo for a second, guys. Um, Diablo 2's Necromancer. Like, I love that character class. I love having an army of people to go do my bidding while I kind of sit back at the base and drink coffee. Like, I like that general persona. But yeah. I agree I agree with Derek that a lot of times I end up playing or trying to play as a pet class in a game, and I'm just really bothered with it. Like, the, the one that comes to mind right now is uh, the Necromancer in Guild Wars 2, which was very much like a character class where you would summon the monsters but then you would do something to them and they would do some kind of action on screen that would then take them away so like one type of minion was like you threw it out and then it would explode for splash damage for aoe damage on a bunch of targets but then yeah but then it was gone and so i like having like a full army that's like hey i can do this and do this i don't like it if my pet is something that i can like fire off and then it goes away and that's why i never really liked the necromancer in guild wars 2 See, I, I don't like to manage anything that's not my main character. Yeah, so. I, I, I'm kind of the same with that, too. Like, I feel like after a point, it's like, like if my pet dies, I'm like, well, I'm just going to get my ass kicked then. So, whoops. I don't know what it is. I, I, maybe it's because I'm a pet person, but I really like having a companion of sorts. Um, I usually invent embarrassing... I, I mean, I don't, like, write crap, but... I invent embarrassing scenarios in my head of like, oh, this is where I got the pet, and we travel together on our journey, which is admittedly kind of lame, but I just like the idea of exploring the world with someone, even, like, if I'm, like, what I really like about Final Fantasy fourteen. are you surprised? I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> Carbuncle. That, yeah, you get a, a Chocobo companion. Everybody gets one, no matter what your class is. So it's really cool. Um, you have a Chocobo that you can ride and equip, and, uh, like some guys I know, and um, he'll fight alongside you, and you can change his AI, uh, or his or her AI, to be a healer, like healer, attacker, defender, which is neat, because it gives you the ability to have a pet while still playing whatever class you want, although I may still go summoner, just because I like Final Fantasy summons. So I'll have, like, I'll have a mini army. I'll go everywhere with three people. I have this, I I have this feeling like Derek really liked the Beastmaster as a kid. Mm, yeah, he had ferrets. So. He did have ferrets, but like, but in Final Fantasy XIV, we haven't had a chance to play as any of the uh, the pet classes yet. There's the the summoner, right. and then there's the arcanist. I can't remember yeah, exactly. Arcanist and scholar. Yeah, and so I, I'm interested to try those character classes, but I want to see how the pet mechanic works because if it isn't something that, for lack of a better term, something that I'm not micromanaging so much as I'm having it around me to help me, I probably won't gravitate toward it. Well, you tend to like, you like, you don't favor the, this is my one pet, I'm going to spec him specially and do special things. You prefer... I like a horde. <laughs> Welcome to my army. Welcome to my army. They are disposable. Yeah. yeah whereas I, I like one pet that's, yeah, so, that's really specialized. Rob, do you really like Pikmin? You know, I've never played Pikmin. I, I've always wanted to play Pikmin, and I have never played it. I had the opportunity to pick it up back in the day, and I just never did. I feel like I would love it. Fun. I could spend hours in that game making the Pikmin jump to their death and listening to the funny noise they make. And they'll keep doing it. 
I used to do that with uh, uh, lemmings all the time. You guys are messed wow. up. Yeah, you guys are, okay, well, lemmings deserve are, to die. They're ugly as crap. Those pets are... Deser- <laughs> well, like, in um in Diablo 2, when I got to... What is it? Uh, Help me out, Steven. It's Hell is the last mode, because it goes Nightmare Hell, right? Yes. Or, yeah. So I got There's to... Yeah, and I, I got to Diablo, and my... My minions were so buffed at that point in the game, they just surrounded Diablo, and he literally couldn't break away from them. Like, they just hacked at him, and it took it took about 15 minutes to kill him, but they just slowly hacked away at him, and I just literally got up and made myself a sandwich and came back. So you were definitely playing offline then, because online they're just like... All yeah, exactly, but it was, it was really fun. <laughs> I, my first character in Diablo 2 was a necromancer as well, and I remember I I I'd spec them really weird. Like he was using a pike, and he had like a twenty percent chance to hit, and like I had like ten points in skeletons and none of the masteries. So like I'd summon all my skeletons, and then like a boss would show up and hit them once, and it would just be and they would all die. Oh yeah, so. the necromancer was notoriously broken at the start of Diablo 2 because if you didn't get skeleton mastery, like Steven's pointing out, you would have a bunch of level one skeletons with about eight hit points. <laughs> and then you and then you get to Andariel and she just annihilated all of yeah, them. Yeah, she one would shot. spit a cloud of poison and everything would die, including you. Yeah, and it was just oh okay, that's not fun. So so it seems like pet classes are more like Derek and my thing, but it kind of depends on how the pet class works. Yeah. But uh, Steven, I I know you because uh, you know we played a lot of games together, and it's like pure magic user for you. I so vast majority of games I go magic. We're playing Shin Megami Tensei Four. I have seven strength, and I have like. 45 or something magic i don't even know how much but yeah i have i'm a big fan of just it's all me and there are bad guys and i'm gonna like just nuke them to death and just unrate just rain down eldritch death on everything although interestingly i i do occasionally change it up like i play a healer in borderlands and i really enjoy doing that and it's actually making me want to kind of try a healing class in final fantasy 14 even though the thaumaturge like the black mage type class is real has a really cool dynamic and it's fun because you do a ton of damage, but they have wrinkles in there that are cool. And then whenever I play like Neverwinter Nights or like a Dungeons and Dragons game, except for Baldur's Gate 2, I always pick a paladin because I just find that within the context of that setting, they're such an interesting character to play. Because normally, like with a paladin, like in WoW or in a lot of modern games, the paladin's just I'm a tank that can heal. I don't do very much damage, but I can heal. Whereas in good. I was just going to say, I've noticed that people who tend to play tank classes tend to be the type that, that really like to take charge and sort of direct the flow of uh, combat, like in, in MMOs. Because yeah, well... I, and I noticed that when I was playing when I was playing 14 beta, I tried Gladiator because they don't have Arcanist yet. And I did a couple of the dungeons, and I really enjoyed being the person who was like, okay, we're going to go into this room now, so get ready, and telling everybody, go here, attack this. Not really because I like being a control freak, but it's it's interesting to be the one that sets the pace. And I know that a lot of people have told me that they only played gladiators or tank classes because that's what they want to do. And I think that's interesting, too, because Mike and I did a dungeon, and he found that he's like, I'm in the thick of the fight. I can't see what's going on. So I was actually being like, all right, go hit this next, because I'm standing far back because I'm, you know, I'm managing the crowd and putting stuff to sleep and then shooting whatever Mike is attacking. So it was like... That's actually what I really enjoyed, and I, I guess that's not the standard in MMO, but for me, I like being far away. I'm not a big fan of getting hit by stuff, 
because I tend to disregard my own health. I just like to destroy things as fast as possible. Uh, I'm with you there. I really, I'm getting more to a, I want to be a ranged character. You know, whether that ranged character uses a a bow and arrow or magic, it doesn't really matter to me. I'll, I'll get to that point in a little bit, but I don't, especially in an MMO, I don't like playing a melee character. Although I did like the melee characters in Guild Wars a little bit more, but as like, 20 enemies are on screen, I just find it hard to target a melee character, like, especially trying to play Final Fantasy XIV with a controller. Like, I was really struggling to, like, get up to a character as my pugilist and engage with them with enough time to where I would actually do anything. Meanwhile, as a mage, I was just holding back and, like Steven's saying, just raining eldritch death on everyone. Yeah, you're kind of just, you're, you're so far back that you can see everything better, so you can, you know, as a healer, you know, you can see your teammates and you can heal them, and you, it's kind of like I like that aspect of it's it's being. I guess you could say, I mean, for me, the pace seems a little bit slower, which I normally wouldn't go for. But you, it's like you are from a position where you can stop and be like, all right, I need to do this next, and then I need to do this. And I really like that with like the thaumaturge and with a lot of caster classes and MMOs. It's like, you know, you sleep this enemy, and you tell everybody, you know, stay off that enemy, mark that one, and then hit this, and yeah. so you're like prioritizing targets, and it feels really strategic, and that's that's what I like about that. You guys are all doing it wrong. Uh, well, John, I'll get to you in a second. <laughs> I'll get to John in a second. But I, I wanted to say la- just we were all kind of focused on magic users for a second. And I wanted to throw this out there because uh, when I played Dragon Age Origins, you know, I've, I very famously made my mage completely incorrect the first time. And I didn't focus on any of the control spells where I was putting things to sleep and, like, constricting people and paralyzing them. I tried to go for a pure damage dealer. And what I found was... When I play a magic user, I don't want to be a buffer. I want to be damage. And so yeah. and so with with Dragon Age, like I really like the mage and I like how powerful they feel from a story perspective, but if you don't play the mage to the point where you're controlling the battlefield, especially in Dragon Age Origins, if you're not controlling the battlefield and putting things to sleep, you're going to run into huge problems. But then the the magic user kind of loses a little bit of the allure for me. Like, I like... It, it's the reason why in Dungeons & Dragons 3rd uh, Edition, they had the wizard and the sorcerer. And the wizard was considered a control class that would, like, manipulate guys and kind of, like... Break do, down walls and barriers yeah, and stuff. Yeah, and the sorcerer was, like, your, your pure damage dealer. Like, just bursty, like... That's why a wild mage was really cool, because you were just, like, an explosive font of energy. Yeah, and I, I kind of like that a little bit more than the the buffer, but I think that also maybe goes to like my own personality type, where I don't uh, maybe this is why I also don't like MMOs that much. But I'm really excited to try 14, is because I tend to want to do things on my own. I'm kind of a loner. I don't like to to buff other people and make them better. I would rather just get it done myself, if that <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, I think like like in Borderlands, my character. You know, early in Borderlands, anybody can just do whatever they want. But when you get to, like, super bosses and stuff, you really have to kind of, you know, you have to have, like, first of all, you have to have a siren because they can heal and, you know, you can revive from far away. So I find myself less shooting the enemies and more, like, paying attention to which of my friends are down. Like, if there's two of them down and one of them's going to die soon, I like, I know how to get him up so he'll run over and rescue the other person. So, again, it goes back to that. I really like having to, like, strategize and, like, you know pick your targets in the order you're going to do them in as a, as like a healer. But when I'm a mage, when I'm a damage dealer and that's my main focus, I don't like to be like, Oh, I'm, I'm putting a damage over time on this guy and doing this. It's like, Ooh, look at this. I just like to be like, yeah, I'm shooting as much magic at you as possible. And you're dead in the face. Yep. 
Okay, so John is not a magic user, and he's not a pet class person. John is just a big dwarf that likes to hit things with a sword. Now, to be fair, I like burst damage that's melee. So, like, in World of Warcraft and in Star Wars The Elder Republic, I played a rogue-style character. Chances are, if I'm playing a single-player game, though, I am choosing the big damage dealer melee warrior guy. Because that's the only way to play. You don't need to worry. Smash things. Yeah, you don't need to worry about strategy. You don't need to worry about magic. There's no (laughs) MP. There's nothing. It's can you hit that guy over there with your sword? And the answer, my friends, is yes. That's actually when I went and replayed. You can't yell at me for this. When I went and replayed Dark Souls, I tried a different character than I normally do, and I, I I made a dude that just wore super heavy armor. He was super slow, and he he carried the heaviest weapons in the game. And at first, I thought it was not going to be much fun. But then, like a super, a, um, like a boss will punch you in the face, and you'll be like, "Ah, okay, whatever." And then you smash him with your like ten foot dragon sword. I'm like, "All right, this is pretty rad." So yeah, I can definitely see the alert. Shall not be named. Uh, it's on sale on Steam today for seven fifty. So <laughs> yeah, no, all the people listening to this podcast several days in the future, it was on Steam sale today. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. no, it keeps coming back up. To no, uh, I'm more to, telling you yeah. for me. I still don't own it. Remember, we yeah. talked about this. I, helping, I think helping you. I actually think that Dark Souls is a bad game to talk about in terms of character classes because it, it really is a game where you kind of have to have like a little bit of everything. Like some bosses, it's like I may not be a pyromancer, but I kind of need the pyromancy spells here. Or I don't typically wear heavy armor, but for this boss encounter, I'm going to don like the heaviest body armor possible. So Dark Souls to me doesn't really stand out as character class. Like you can very much spec your character in that way, but. I, I don't have fun doing it. I, I don't necessarily enjoy doing that either. Like, as I've played it more, I have. But I think a lot of the hardcore players might disagree with you on that. That Yeah. Specking, because people say, oh, you got to stop at a certain level so you can get into PvP and stuff. Like, coming up with exactly the right spec for the weapon you want to use and, like, the abilities you want to use actually becomes important. Well, to, to move the conversation back over to John a little bit, like, I, I know you played uh, Dragon Age 2 as a uh, as a warrior class, did you play Dragon Age Origins as a warrior class? And if so, did you find that enjoyable? Because like the tank class in Dragon Age Origins, like all you were doing was soaking up damage. Like you were just sitting there and getting you were just a meat sponge. Otherwise, you were going to get killed very fast. Yeah. So, and you found that fun. Like that that was cool to you. John's like, like did, John's did, like, did what's you... the matter with that? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, I uh, I have no problem tanking. Like, when I play an MMO, I'm either playing a tank or I'm playing a melee DPS. Hmm. And in, in the great majority of times, sometimes those are hybrid classes. Right. Especially now, yeah. Like, it, like I know in Lord of the Rings, the burglar was a burst damage class, yeah. but also kind of like, I, like I remember, he would stun people. I remember this was going to really show how long ago it was that I regularly played WoW. But we were going through Naxxramas, and not Wrath of the Lich King Naxxramas, but, like, real vanilla Naxxramas. And uh, I was playing my rogue, and I tanked uh, Instructor Resuvius for a good minute. And I know that they oh, you tanked for a minute, but that boss destroys you. It was just I had, I built for dodge. And I enjoyed that. Yeah. I'm going to say I'm impressed without knowing the full details of that accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, I actually yeah. wanted to ask because I was the only one that touched on it. Do you guys tend to play uh, male characters always, or do you play female? Or um, I typically go for male. Um, 
And, and that's not for any other reason than, and that gets to a, the point that I want to bring up in a little bit, which is I think the story and the role-playing aspect of it is also very important to me. I want to get there, but I guess I tend to, if there's a choice between male and female, I'll go male because it makes me feel better as it makes me feel like I'm inhabiting the role easier. But if it's a female only character, then I don't care. Like in dragon's crown, I'll most likely play as the, the elf. And I have no problem with the fact that she's female, but if there was a male option, I would probably go with the male option just to make me feel like I'm the character because you know, I'm not a woman. I, I know so, it's a shocker, but you know, that's you guys want, you, you want me to sound like an asshole here? Oh boy. Here we go, John. <laughs> so if I play a single player game, I tend to play a male character, but I'm happy to play female characters. I played a femme chap, but if I'm playing an MMO, I will play a female character 100% of the time because you're treated better by the community. I've actually, I've, I've heard yes. that's honestly the case. I, I don't remember who I was talking to about that. Somebody, I was talking to Mike or something, and it, it came up on some live stream we were watching where the guy was like, yeah, I usually play as a girl. He's like, because people tend to be less of a pain in the ass. And I'm like, that is... There's also the flip side to that, which is where people go like, can I have your phone number? Are you... Uh, and, uh, my, my, no, and, uh, and seriously, yeah. if, if I, I've gotten those messages, and if people say, can I have your phone number, whatever, my response is, is very concise. It's four words. I, I have a, a penis. Oh. <laughs> awesome. So, I, so I'm a little not, more blunt. Yeah, you but, but, but so you're not you're not just being like, oh, you like you're not playing with them. Like you're no, no. Been, like, if, go on. If somebody if somebody says, oh, are you a female? I go, no, I'm not. Yeah. But because that 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 conversation only happens if you tend to be, you know, in a regular, you know, in a guild with somebody or something like that, where you're conversing with them, it's rare that random people in a, a dungeon will go, hey. Let's date. Yeah. I also, um, I tend to really, man, when it, when it comes to the male-female thing, like, I would have, I would have always said male back in the day, but now I'm kind of like, you know, maybe I will make a female character. I know John and, and Derek uh, brought up Mass Effect and Femship, and to me, Femship is the only way to play Mass Effect. Like, I'll play that whole game series again someday, and I'm going to play a female character, because I like the voice actress more. Like I find her, I find her character to be better overall, and so maybe that's of, one of the reasons. A lot of people say that about Mass Effect, and I know you disagree. I, I know. Well, no, like I, I can appreciate it because I think she's fantastic and she's really well voiced. But for me, normally I pick, like when I used to play Baldur's Gate, for some reason I always picked a, a female character and I'd play as like a mage or something, and I don't know why I just did because I don't know they looked less weird in Baldur's Gate. But it's kind of like. It sort of depends on the game. Like, if, I, if I'm playing Neverwinter Nights, like, I usually made a lady paladin and just, you know, would wear, like, super heavy armor and be awesome. But, like, I don't, I don't care either way. Like, Diablo 2, I almost exclusively played the sorceress after my first character, and that didn't bother me. But when I played Diablo 3, I picked a dude because I liked his voice actor better. But, well, can't, can't you choose uh, male or female in the, D, in the D3 classes? Or am yes. I... Yes, you can. Yeah, in you Diablo can. 3, you can, but not in 2. Not in 2, not they're in tied two, yeah. to... So it's like there is no sorcerer. There is only sorceress. Yeah, exactly. Whereas in Diablo three, they went with like gender neutral. Like it was just wizard. Like there's dude wizard and lady wizard. But I think in the context of a game like Mass Effect, where I played the choices the way I would pick them, like the way I as a person would pick them, I went with a dude shepherd because I was just like, well, you know, if I'm going to try to play myself in this game, I'll be a guy. But when I do replay it, I'll play as female shepherd just because, you know. 
she's got a rad voice actress and stuff changes. So for me, it really just kind of depends on the game. Like whichever character I think looks cooler really is what it boils down to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a really good area to bring up. Uh, one of my main points that I'm looking for in my character classes is the role playing aspect. And I think that gets to a little bit of what Derek's talking about with the gender. Uh, when it came time to decide a character class for Diablo 3, I knew instantly I was going to like the Witch Doctor because I liked the pet classes and I liked his spells, but I didn't like his his vibe as much. Like, I didn't like the whole tribal nature of him. Like, it was a cool story, but it's not it's not so much me. But then when the Demon Hunter came out, and I've never really played a ranged bow class before, I really like the idea of like this this hunter, this person who's lost everything and is now going forth to fight demons, and kind of does it using like a little bit of elbow grease and like really nasty attacks, and and is a range based class. And I fell in love with the Demon Hunter. So to me, the story is also very very important to when I'm picking a character class, like. Uh, with the uh, with, with Vampire, uh, the Masquerade Bloodlines, like, I don't want to play any of the character classes that don't talk to people, for example. Like, the, the Bruja really only solves problems by punching it really hard. And to me, that's not the fun part of that game. Like, I, I want to play as the, the Regal Vampire or, like, a completely bat-crap Malcavian. crazy vampire. Yeah, exactly. No, like I want to stop. Yeah, no, you stop. Like, I, I, so the role-playing aspect is very, very important to me See. when I'm making a character class choice. See, I enjoy playing crazy characters. Actually, one of my favorite games in regards to role-playing aspects is uh, Arcanum, yeah. Uh, Because you can play as an idiot. Like, (laughs) literally, like, idiot. Or I think they are... So there's there's idiot savant and special person. And they both give you the (laughs) same uh, options in regards to dialogue. And that is you sound like an idiot. John and, and, actually bought me that game, and I, I played it for a bit just to see that. And the dialogue is like, it's not just like a one note joke. Like they really went all out as if your character is an idiot. Yeah, like the the entire game you can play through, and people treat you accordingly. Some people will treat you much nicer because you're an idiot, and then wow, some people look down on you because you're an idiot. Does the and, so? I guess it might be. I don't know if we could spoil it, but like when you get to like main villains and boss fights, do the bosses like totally like? sneer down at you because you're an idiot you know what? i don't remember it's been i don't know a good six or seven years since i played through more than like an hour of that game so i i don't recall probably uh but i mean the fallout games were the same way where if you the old fallout games not uh three not, in new vegas n- not three in new vegas but if you play fallout one and two and you assign your character an intelligence of one or two and they have special dialogue options yes yeah, and it was like that. That's another reason why I don't want to take us too far off topic. I really like. We're sort of talking about classes, but there are a lot of games too where you don't pick a class, but you build. You know, you build an archetype, like in Morrowind or in like Fallout. You're not a class; you're the sum of your skills. And in those kind of games, I think it's interesting to think of like what kind of skills you pick and how you like to play too. Because Fallout <laughs> did a really good job of like changing it up for that. I I know what kind of skills I choose. Smashing skills. Smashing skills. Like, <laughs> when I played Skyrim, my character had, like, 100 uh, one-handed weapons, and his barter was, like, 12. <laughs> uh, Derek, what about you? When, with the role-playing aspect, is that an important part when you're making a character class choice, or not so much? Uh, yeah. 
it depends on the game, but like a for me in, in MMOs, a big part of it is if I like the lore associated with the job. Mm-hmm. Um, for Puppet Master, it was more than just the idea of having a pet. It was like, it's really cool to have a little customizable robot that looks kind of like Vivi. And I appreciated the lore <laughs> yes. that had to go with it. Because it was cool. It was just like there's an automaton workshop and you, you know, like you go recover um, a broken automaton and they repair it for you. And so when it boots up, like it, like you're its master from then on. And then uh, a lot of the stuff with the automaton technology connected to um, Alexander, like the summon. Because, uh, spoiler, in Final Fantasy XI, uh, Treasures of Ergen, the the final fight is actually against Alexander because he's like part of these undersea ruins. Mm-hmm. Or he's like some kind of guardian, basically. So it was so cool because the, the automaton technology tied into Alexander, and Alexander's my favorite summon. So, yeah, the role playing does definitely play I, into it. I'm really so you must glad have that liked FF9. I'm really glad that Final Fantasy XI yes. had a good story because I couldn't get to any of it after sitting in Yatunga Jungle for. Hours and hours on end. Yeah, yeah, I I used to get so jealous because I had a friend that had a high level character and like I'd all, I I tried so many times to get further into that game because I oh, kept hearing how good the story was. I'm like, like ridiculous barrier of entry, and I really think Square Enix would be smart to like a lot of people say that they should re-release it as a single player game. I don't think they should because I have no idea. Like, I don't know. It, I, I don't think that they should spend their time on that, but I do think that they should release some kind of official compilation Blu-ray or DVD that shows all of the cutscenes in a reasonable manner. It would be cool if they budgeted voice acting and stuff because there is really cool story in Eleven. Uh, each, each of the storylines actually has a lot of interesting things going on that oftentimes ties back to older FF games. And I'm in the middle of um, Seekers of Adeline. I'm still I still need to pen at least one more review journal for it. I deactivated my account after I did the first review and then... I reactivated about a week ago because there was an update and they added new story. So I was like, okay, I'll go check this out. And it's literally like half an hour of story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but there's there's some interesting things going on in, in it though with uh, the World Tree Yggdrasil and um, like the Wings of the Goddess, the last expansion had Kate Sith as a major plot element. He was kind of like a, like Kate Sith and Atomos, the summon with the giant mouth that sucks things up. They were yeah. the two big things. It was all about distorting time and stuff. And this one's about uh, the world tree and how the roots are, like, poisoning the land or whatever. That's not really relevant, but yes, role-playing factors into my decisions. Go on. That That's actually interesting, too, because um, a lot of games don't bother to put lore into their character classes, but I'm going to bring up, too, that I, I don't think Derek likes, but um, the Diablo series and Borderlands both, especially in Borderlands 2, you'll find there's a lot of backstory behind the characters. Like, when, when they, whenever they introduced the two new classes that came out as DLC, the intros were, us- they were like, 10-minute story scenes where they showed, like, this is why the psycho is crazy, and this is, and, you know, why and, like, it had, like, like the- I thought you didn't like Borderlands. No, you like Borderlands, too. I do. I just, we were talking about uh, whether or not we should cover it on RPG Fan, and I lean towards no, but I think it's a good game. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, yeah, you probably would like it because it's every class does have a story. Like the psycho actually has a really interesting backstory of, you know. Oh crap! Obvious. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I'm playing Animal Crossing and I just missed a shark. <laughs> Go on, Sharknado. There was a Sharknado in my town. <laughs> but yeah, like you, you throughout the game, you'll get like little like recorders of your character talking about their life before. Mm-hmm. 
you know, before the things in Borderlands happen. And so, like, the, the psycho has this really cool thing going on where it's like, he's not actually insane in his head, but because he's been, like, you know, mutated and screwed with, he, you know, what he says externally doesn't match up with what he says on the inside. So he's like this prisoner in his own body thing. So, like, in, in his little story trailer, he sees the siren character and his head is going, oh, she helped you out. That's nice. Go thank her and shake her hand. And then the guy jumps through the air with an axe screaming, I have the best meat bicycle and starts like smashing things. So <laughs> it's and as you're playing as him, it's really cool because like if you're standing still, he'll say something kind of calm. But then if you start running around, he'll be like, ah, I can't break your neck if you don't have one. Stop having no neck. So and all of the characters have like a lot of backstory and that actually made it more interesting for me playing. I'm like, oh, that's cool because now when things happen within the world, you're like, oh, I understand why, how my character figures into this. And that's they did that in Diablo as well. It was more it was about as pushed to the side as you could, but it was still cool. Like your dialogue would change. Like, you know, if you're a necromancer in Diablo 2 and you talk to the guy in Kurast, he'd be like, damn it. I wish you people. Oh, you're a necromancer. And he would have like different dialogue. So I don't definitely like it when the game doesn't just assign you a class and then forget and then, you know, refer to you universally as the same thing. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, what do you guys think about, like, mechanics? Because I, I know I, I tend to really like stealthy characters. I really like to use character classes that, you know, are stealthy and I'm coming around behind people and I'm being, you know, a real sneaky jerk and getting sneak attacks and stuff. But I, I find that I only like to play as those kind of character classes in games where the, like, the stealth mechanic is really good, for example. Like, I think in Skyrim, the stealth mechanic is actually really, really good. And I, I like sneaking around environments and, and, you know, putting arrows in people's backs. But then in Dragon Age, like, the stealth mechanic is you go invisible and then just reappear behind somebody. And so it's a very hands-off approach. So do the mechanics of a game ever really influence the character class that you guys are playing as? No. You yeah. just hit things. <laughs> like, every game has a good... Well, usually the hit things mechanic is the best mechanic in the game. Mm -hmm. Like, few games are like, man, we're going to make this have really good magic, but really bad melee. It's, look, people are going to hit things. Let's make them hit things. Yeah, usually I can agree with that. With, I with, say with yes the hitting because things. I when I play, I like buff classes, but I hate when you have to reapply buffs all the time. Uh, Bard drove me crazy in Final Fantasy XI, and I got stuck playing it forever. Uh, I, I I like the idea behind the job, and I I like the I like the idea behind buffing my teammates, and I like the idea behind being a bard in terms of lore. But I did not like having to actually reapply the same spells every five minutes real time or, or less <laughs> be glad that you weren't a paladin and wow because paladins early on one of their buffs was two minutes and then the greater version was five minutes yeah uh... I that. so mechanically yeah it does factor in like if even if i'm totally in love with the way it's presented if it sucks to play then you know why that, that's kind of why like i'm really in love with they added it it was like really awesome when they added it. They added Sonic to Smash Brothers, and then he was terrible to play. So, no matter how much I liked Sonic, couldn't play as I'm not totally related, but mm -hmm. yeah, it's I still, I love playing. No, go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, I love playing very fast characters typically, but if the if the speed of my character is only a number and it's not an actual like, hey, this is what makes me faster, and this is what keeps me like moving around and and not dying. You know, I, I would much rather have a faster character like Fox in Smash Brothers because I can feel that that speed, I can feel that responsiveness. But in a game where it's just, hey, you're playing as a fast character in a turn-based strategy game, 
well, I don't feel that speed. You know what I mean? It it has no impact on me. It does. It feels like it's removed from the gameplay. That's true. That sucks. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things. I uh, I, I, I have no down. problem when my speed is a number. Like I I feel like sometimes if you make a character like too fast, they become difficult to play. That's true. Um, like. I don't know. I, I play a fat, I play a lot of League of Legends, and I when I say a lot, I, I'm kind of addicted right now. But uh, like I play Warwick as my main, and Warwick, if you uh, uh, if you're near an enemy who's less than fifty percent health, you get faster. Mm-hmm. And if you max out that skill, he gets like a plus fifty percent speed boost. And I've run myself into really bad places because I don't expect to get there as quickly as I do. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Like speed can sometimes come back to to bite you a little bit, and the speedy character classes tend to be very very squishy. Yeah, squishy. I was I was thinking about a game. One of the reasons I decided to do this topic was because a game just kept coming up in my head because I don't see how anybody can play it any other way than I do, which is Mass Effect. Because I play as an infiltrator in Mass Effect, and I just snipe things all day. And I, ne- I hardly ever get hit. I'll maybe have to cloak and run away. But it, it feels like that character class is just amazing in that game. But then I, I see other people playing as the other character classes. And so each character class feels strong in their own way. And I think... Nope. That, okay, I'm sorry. What's the best character class? Soldier. Yep, well... In what? He's talking about Mass Effect. I, he wants to brute force everything. Yes, yeah. But like, Which is okay. Oh. Actually, Vanguard can brute force things better than the Soldier can in Mass Effect. Oh. I was going to say uh, Dynasty Warriors is fun to brute force things in, but that's not a game we cover. No, <laughs> Dynasty Warriors is not fun. <laughs> However, wait, it's not fun? Like, Ever. well, I, I guess playing Dynasty Warriors every now and again is fun, but I could not play Dynasty Warriors on the schedule in which Koei releases them. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that there's uh, a t- one of the characters from Atelier Totori? Verona, the, that trilogy, he's going to be in the next like Warriors Orochi. Oh, oh. Like That's we don't even we don't even get all of the the Musou games. Like we don't get the One Piece Musou, and like all these other freaking Musou games that they the have in 18 Japan. Eighteen Gundam games. Yeah, we got we got like fourteen we, of we, them. Yeah, we got we got the Gundam yeah. ones, but like there are other Musou games in Japan that we don't get. I think it's hard because a lot of games, like, uh, to bring up the character classes again, and sometimes they suck. Like, when we were all playing System Shock 2, it was like, yeah, you could play as the magic user character class, but it's really going to suck for the beginning of the game. And oh, in the original Diablo, you can play as a sorcerer, but the sorcerer is really, really weak at the start of that game, and good luck if you get the butcher quest. But, that's, but that, honestly, though, in, in regards to the sorcerer, up until very recently, every RPG, if you played as a wizard, you were doing it with the implicit understanding that you were going end. to be very weak in the beginning. Yeah. I think I've gotten over that. Like, I don't want to play as a game... I, I don't want to play a game like that anymore, where I'm like, okay, the wizard's going to be good in about five hours, but... Who man, this is gonna suck for a while. Like I, I really don't like that, and I, oh, don't, I don't want to do that. I like don't the play, sense of growth. Don't play Dungeons and Dragons then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, because in uh, in third and fourth edition uh, Dungeons and Dragons, like the sorcerer, the magic user classes are strong from the get go. No, like not. I they don't reach you, godly status. When you can roll a wizard that has two hit points. <laughs> well, you're doing it wrong. When I when I first oh, played Baldur's, put some you constitution. Have a, you have a con, you have a constitution of twelve, and you roll a d four for your first hit die. Like, come on. 
when I first played Baldur's Gate 1 and I made a mage, my character had 3 HP. And I remember I was like, huh, that must be a lot in this game. No. <laughs> it was, oh, you got hit by a rock. You're dead. Oh, you got hit by a sword. You've exploded. Uh, character classes. Okay, so I, I, I feel like we're starting to get to the end of the conversation here. So I want everybody to give me their favorite character class in a video game and then their least favorite character class in a video game. Okay. All right. This would have been nice to know beforehand because I didn't think of anything. I'm springing it on. <laughs> I'm springing it on. Go, John, go. Was... go, John, go. Do you uh, want us to give you like a specific game? Um. Well, I mean, I, not necessarily. Like, it can be in any game. Like, right, you, right. you could have your favorite I'm... from one game and your least favorite from another. I, I'm ready. All right, you ready, John? All right. Yeah, my least favorite class is. Uh, let's go with, um, Summoner from Final Fantasy Eleven. Or Hunter from WoW. And my favorite class is Farmer from Etrian Odyssey 3. Oh, shut up. <sighs> hey, you can really, really gather a lot of great materials as a farmer. Okay, give me, give me your reasoning <laughs> behind these choices, John. All right, Farmer is awesome because it's one of my favorite E3 stories. Uh, where I was I was talking to Alice's PR guy at, at E3 years and years ago, and he was showing us Etrian Odyssey 3. And uh, they were showing us the new multiplayer options, and we were going to go fight a boss. And uh, he chose, like, a ninja, and it was me and Kimberly, and Kimberly chose a warrior. And then I had, like, five classes, and I chose a farmer. And it's the only time I've ever had a PR person swear at me. (laughs) (laughs) You did pick farmer. I I picked the farmer, and we lost. Predictably. We we lost horribly. (laughs) The farmer was like, I do three damage with my dagger. Well, no, no, right. no you, you have a pitchfork, man. Right? I, I, don't, I, I don't even know what I was doing. I think I was just choosing the regular attack option. It was like, you've got a pitchfork! I think you were assuming the role of an idiot, like you do so well. Yes. <laughs> hey, you know what? My, I, I gotta tell you, my favorite character in most video games has gotta be Minsk from Baldur's Gate. Oh, he's wonderful. He's the biggest wonderful oaf ever. All right, Derek. I don't know. I've been trying to think this whole time. All right, Steven. So uh, I'm going to start with favorites because I haven't thought of a least favorite yet, so we'll come to it. But uh, I'm going to pick two favorites. One of them is the Vanguard from Mass Effect 2 and then especially 3 because all that stuff I said about being strategic and planning, I love doing that. But by the end of Mass Effect 3, you're literally like 2-3, 2-3, 2-3. You're just smash. Oh, shoot that guy with a shotgun. He's dead. Okay. Nova. Oh, enemy shields. Oh, look. Charge is recharged. You're literally just like a whirlwind of death. Like nothing can stand up against you. Especially if you're like, because the cooldown on the two abilities just syncs up so perfectly well at the end that you are literally unkillable. And it's just totally rad. And then my other favorite is the Uber Squire from Final Fantasy Tactics. <laughs> uh, because first of all, it learns Ultima. Second of all, he gets Scream. I don't know what they call I can't remember what they called it in War of the Lions, but it's just. You get to the end, you've got all your awesome abilities, you switch to Uber Squire, and you're just a total monster. So, How do you make the Uber Squire in that game? I can't even remember. It's just Rams' Squire. Okay, like eventually he eventually he opens up a couple of skills, right? He, I think he actually has them from the get-go. Like, you can buy Scream and stuff. He gets more Squire abilities than anybody else. Right. And I think he has access to them all from the beginning, but... Yeah. In fact, the whole class system in that game is awesome. Every yeah. class is rad. But all, all the Final Fantasy Tactics games, including Advance and A2, have awesome classes in them. Yeah, that, 
That's actually I we we should have brought that up sooner. That those games really make picking different classes fun because of how you combine and mix and match stuff and like it's so much fun to be like, oh, I'm a monk, I can you know punch things, and then you get the the bare hand ability, so you can switch to like a samurai and get blade grasp, and then you switch to you know wizard to get teleport. So at the end, you're a teleporting, unhittable double puncher who can kill everything in one hit. And Ramsel looks cool to begin with. So and then and then you turn into a calculator, and you're like, I'm gonna hit everything that's even. <laughs> that's oh, that's another awesome class. Yeah, I, I don't know. I have a lot. Of, I can't pick one favorite. One of my least favorites, though, is. Uh, Probably the Heaven and Hell Knight from Final Fantasy Tactics because it is the most useless class ever. Is that from War of the Lions or is that just uh, it, one of the it's, uh, and Rafa uh, and Malik. Oh yeah, and it's like, hey, look, I have a bunch of magic that is like, all horrible. Don't they have weird uh, like shapes that they reach to? I don't remember. Yeah, like like they'll have like a one that hits like a Z, but it's like not yeah, like, a full like Z weird and... Tetris piece attack ranges. It's weird, yeah. Weird is the good is a good way to describe it, and it always annoyed me because it was just super bad. I really hope that they put a Black Knight character class in Final Fantasy XIV because I really like the idea of a character class that I can heal myself. Like instead of like, hey, I'm gonna buff everybody here. No, I'm gonna keep me alive. Well, that's also, what I want to do. Well, that, they had one in Eleven. They had the Dark Knight, and his his thing was that he hurt himself to deal damage, didn't he? Yeah. Oh. Which is I, awesome, I, though. I want to well, play as Gaff Gary. They also <laughs> absorb things, though, to counteract that. They uh, weren't yeah. that good, but maybe 14 will be better. All right, I thought of an answer. So I, I'm going to cut Derek off before he gets okay. to an answer. Dying, <laughs> <laughs> mean, that just reminding me of, of like healing yourself reminds me of Rift, and just that Rift has an awesome system because you can play pretty much any of the character classes and have self-heal abilities. Yeah, Guild Wars 2 did that to an extent, but some of the self-heal abilities were like, they felt useless. Like that's, oh, actually, that's that's great. I healed ten percent of my total health. That that's useful. That was actually something that made me think you would like fourteen, John, because the I played Rift for probably like five or six hours, and I was like exploring the skill system, and I did really like it. And fourteen isn't quite as open, but it works a lot like tactics, where oh, you leveled up your conjurer, so now I'm going to switch over to my pugilist and equip cure, so now I can heal myself. Or like, hey, I'm on the the thaumaturge, but I'll take protect from the the conjurer. I, I know all you guys got really, really into the beta. I won't play MMO betas anymore unless I need to write about them, simply because I don't like going through that content again. So I'll be happy yeah. to try out uh, when beta four starts, because that's when character data starts. Really, yeah, that's, that's a good that, that's a good mentality. I think I'd really like it if Square Enix would get more of those collectors editions, because I went to buy it and they were sold out. Dag, Just buy the digital collectors. Uh, I just I, I was really he wants looking, the book. I was I love art books. I really do, and I love that art. Like John knows how I feel about art books. Yeah, and, Stephen and I feel the same way. Um, you look at it once, and then it sits on a shelf. Nope, oh, it, no, I look at it all the time. I regularly sit down and go through my shelves and look at my stuff. I, I I've gone through the sky like eight times. So yeah, I, like, I, and I and that's I think that's awesome. I just and I like having it. Like I'm glad. I just, I have I just it. wanted to be kind of a jerk and. And I, I, I have a very nice art book collection. It sits up here on the top. It's the Mass Effect Universe artwork, the art book for the Skyrim Collector's Edition, and then uh, the art book for the Star Wars Collector's Edition. And I haven't looked at any of them for ages. All right, all right, I have all right. An entire shelf. It, and a lot of them are those like really tiny art books that they would give you as pre order bonuses for games uh, yeah. that I've been collecting since the early PS2 era. So I probably have upwards of like 70 to 70 to 100. Holy crap. Kotaku posted some like 
of that artwork from A Link to the Past, and oh man, did that get me excited for A Link to the Past too? <laughs> I'm so excited. Yep. All right, Derek, we've been putting you off long enough. Character no, it's okay. Uh, this actually goes a little bit against what I was saying earlier, but, uh, well, in, in one sense. So, Puppet Master, I really, really liked. I don't know what it was about that job, but it really it really captivated me. I liked I liked the little robot dude. I liked the way it looked. I liked the way the armor looked. I liked the concept behind the job. I don't know, but I loved it. And I also really liked uh, Dragoons, even though they were also not great in Eleven for a while. But I liked Kane. I, mean, I, I think everybody liked Kane, really, in FF4. Um, so if I have to play a melee class, I, I always go with a spear user. So they have Dragoons actually in 14. So I'll probably, I, I have a level 50 Dragoon in my legacy account. So I guess I'll use that. And my least favorite would be any kind of red magey type, because I don't like jobs. I don't, I don't like playing a class that I know can't reach the potential that other classes can, mm. unless it has some kind of unique element. But most red mages are just like crappy white and black mages mixed together. Yeah, I, like, I agree with in, you there. In 11, the Red Mage basically was useful because he had Refresh. And then once exactly. they raised the level cap, other classes could get it. So it became right. like and, almost useless. Yeah, and then their big thing was like MP management after that. And then Abyssia destroyed that because everybody can get ridiculous Refresh on themselves without needing a Red Mage. Uh, I, so yeah, Red Mages, yeah. I don't like them. I, I 100% agree with you. Like if I'm playing a, a hybrid class, I want it to feel like a hybrid class because it does something different. I don't want it to be, oh, I only get the second and third level spells from these two character classes. I don't get the fourth and fifth level spells. Like, that That doesn't feel good to me, but if it's a different kind of mechanic at play, then I really like it. Yeah, that's 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 how I feel about that, too. Like, I, I hate seeing, like, if you, if you multi-class in Dungeons & Dragons, it's like, well, I'm never going to get the level 9 Dragon's Breath spell. Dragon's you, Breath. You know what? Pen and Paper Game, I think, does a really good job. Um, is, is D20 Modern. Because the base classes are just based on the five or the six base character stats. So you have the smart character, the strong character, etc. And then you can prestige class into other classes. But it's not based on the, the core class. So you can be a strong character that goes into tech as long as you have the prerequisites. Mm-hmm. That's actually, yeah, I, when I when I did the only campaign I've ever done in a tabletop game, I, I ran a Mass Effect campaign with my friends, and we used a modified D20 rule set, and it was really cool because of how it was, it, it, it focused on those, like, that strength of the system where your characters could do other things, but you didn't have to hamstring yourself by being like, well, I want to switch to something else now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like it. All right, I guess it's uh, my turn now. Uh, I'm going to do least favorite character class first. Um, It's because it kept me from playing the rest of the game because I chose this character class. I was having just an absolute terrible time with the game. I tried to play it for like eight hours. I got fed up with it. And then everybody I say, and they're like, how could you hate this game? And I tell them the character class, and they all look at me and go, oh, yeah, he sucks. That would be the biotic from the original Mass Effect because that was awful. I actually Awful. liked this, the Infiltrator, less than the first one. I thought the Infiltrator was horrible. Uh, I think the Infiltrator is bad, but like, there's the possibility of getting that sniper skill up. But the Biotic, I was like, wait a minute. What you're telling me is I can push this thing on the ground, and I have more of an opportunity to shoot it with my dinky pistol. That well, you know, sucks. You know what you got to do? You got to beat the game with the Vanguard, max out your shot, and carry over your shotgun skill, and then make a Biotic with a shotgun, and then just continually use Singularity and... 
overcharge with the shotgun, and you'll kill everything in one hit. Uh, I just thought the biotic in the original Massive, and I agree with you, I think the Infiltrator is up there too. Those character classes are just like, why? Like, why are they even in this game? Like, did they did they play test them? Because they're not fun. Like, they're just terrible. <laughs> like, they, they, these are the not fun character classes. My brother-in-law was like, so you chose the one character class that will make Mass Effect not fun. And I'm like, yeah, I, apparently I, I did. Um, and then for my favorite character class is, uh, I'll do two since you guys are doing them a little bit. I, I got to throw out the Malkavian from Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. That, that was a funny class. Because of the awesome dialogue options. And again, if you're playing that game for the combat, you're doing it wrong because the combat is terrible. But if you're playing it to interact with characters and like use your special powers to get unique dialogue options... It's awesome, and the Malkavian does that better than any other character class. Most of the characters, just when you say something crazy, they go, uh, okay. Like, they just get really scared of you, and that's awesome. And then the other character class is, uh, this one surprised me, because I thought I would always pick the Necro from Diablo 2, but I gotta go with the Demon Hunter from Diablo 3, and and don't get me wrong, the the Demon Hunter has some issues, but I really like the dual uh, resource mechanic on... Yeah, it's very cool. I like that a lot, too. The Demon Hunter having the ability to use hatred to do, like, short, spammy powers that do a lot of damage, and then the discipline skills that will prevent damage or keep you alive longer they they said before that they wanted to get away from mana use in diablo 3 and they wanted to make each character class feel different i think the only one that they got right was the demon hunter like the barbarian's cool and he builds up his rage and then he uses rage skills the monk is kind of a play on that except he fills up with spirit the mana and arcane power for the sorcerer uh, for the wizard sorry and the uh the uh, witch doctor they might as well be the same like there's very little difference between the two and then you have the demon hunter which sits in like this really cool spot and really makes the character feel very different from everything else in that game i kind of i hope as they work on the expansion they go to make the character classes as different as the demon hunter i i really like that character class also rapid fire is one of the most satisfying skills that skill <laughs> they I, made even, it better. <laughs> even though I think disintegrate is cooler because it's magey, it's the they're the exact same skill. And rapid fire does sound awesome. It's like... <laughs> and they made it more powerful. Like half the reason why the demon hunter is better now is they made him, uh, made him and her like they do more damage. And rapid fire can be your bread and butter skill for that game. And that is so satisfying to just literally fling out like a hundred thousand arrows at somebody and just watch the health just deplete well, on them. Yeah, you use the backflip move. You backflip into a crowd. You're like. <laughs> It's really See, fun. Rob, I think it's interesting that you say that you wish that that like every class had a complex mechanic like that, because I think that at, at some point, every game needs to have a relatively simple class and, oh, a, yeah. and, a, and a middle class. And I think that there needs to be that ability because not everybody's going to want to play a complex a class. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I think that... I mean, like to League of Legends, which I know is not an RPG, but you have some characters that are really straightforward where... You know, you you build up your damage and that's it. And then you have some characters that are significantly more taxing to play. 
Yeah, and I, I think the Demon Hunter, what just makes it fun is that the, it plays not only into the mechanics of the game with the hatred and the discipline, but it also really plays into the story of this character, which is that, you know, this character has a lot of rage and wants to go out and hurt these demons, but they also have to use the discipline in order to keep them alive. Otherwise, they'll just flame out. And I, you know, that, that gets to all of the elements I've talked about with why I make character class choices. It's a fast character. It's a ranged character. It's got a cool mechanic behind it and a cool storyline. And that all of those elements come together for the Demon Hunter with me, and I get really excited about it. But I, I agree with John. Like sometimes a more simple, I, I think you can have a simple character class, one that has a fun resource but isn't boring. And I think like the Barbarian does a really good job of that in Diablo Three because it's like you have really really cool si- skills, but they are a little bit more straightforward in pure in terms of pure damage. But uh, so I wanted to leave the character class discussion on um, do you guys want to pick Final Fantasy 14 or Dragon's Crown about which character classes we're going to choose make a decision Final, either Final Fantasy 14 okay 14 what's everyone going to play as Derek go first I'm going to be a summoner or maybe a scholar actually but they away from that. the summoner <laughs> yeah Steven uh, I'm going to start out as a thaumaturge because the resource mechanic is actually kind of awesome and yeah, I think I'm with you on that. <laughs> I'm going to probably dual class with Conjurer for as long as I can, and then eventually I'll probably decide to be a, a healer or a, a damager. John? Monk? Okay. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. They like oh, the monk is cool. like a crazy person. Yeah, the monk is really cool, and he's got like this cool combo system built in, which makes it... like I tried playing as a gladiator, and I was just bored to tears. Like it was John, just... Ugh. I think John might like the Marauder because you get a giant axe and you smash people with it. There you go, John. I, I, I played a monk in uh, 11, and I enjoyed it. And then for uh, Dragon's Crown, what's everybody thinking about? Sephiroth. Uh, um, I, mean, I mean the wizard. I'm going to go opposite, and I'm going to be the fighter. Really? Yeah, well, because you guys, like, Stephen wants to be a magic person, you want to be the elf. And I assume Mike will play with us. I don't know if John will. I was kind of surprised because the the fighter looks very fast. Like his character looks really like stocky, but he looks really fast in combat. I was kind of surprised by that. Yeah, I'll be the fighter or the Amazon. John, for uh, Dragon's Crown, if you say the sorceress, I'm gonna. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> like I I I'm being really honest there, but I Not they're all gonna play relatively similarly, and it's a beat 'em up. That's true. That's true. I gotta say, because I was listening back to one of our old episodes, and we were talking about the um, the sex and games debate and about the Dragon's Crowned art style, and I watched one of the latest trailers for the game, and I didn't see that there's one picture of the sorceress eating a meatball, and you can just, you can imagine where it goes, and it, it's like it's like one of those Catherine wait, 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 what? photos. Yeah, she's eating a meatball, like she's eating a spaghetti, and, and like, she picks up a meatball with the fork, Imagine one of those pictures for Catherine, and like, I'm sorry, but that's just juvenile to me. Like, at that point, now she really is just an object, and it just really frustrated me. It, I, I, it's sort of exactly what I expect from Kamitani at this point, though, because especially having played Muramasa and seen the art for that game, I mean, it's they're not hiding it. it it's, right. They're they're very open about it, and I, I, I guess bluntness is appreciated, but I still think it's. It takes away from for me. It takes away from me appreciating that art because I look yeah. at that and I go, "This is weird know, and like, kind of perverse." I'm all about appreciation of the human body. Like I, I will not. 
I don't know. I like I, everybody looks at porn, but having it in a game like and trying to pretend like it isn't just sexualized is kind of weird. I just made the mistake of, uh, without safe search on, typing in Dragon's Crown and Sorceress. And yeah, that was... Good job, Rob. Really good job there. Okay, anywho. uh, John, you want to take us into news? Yeah, news! More news! Uh, Steins Gate is coming in English via Jast USA. The visual novel. Hmm, Steins Gate is a good show. It was a a great... I think the show is based on the visual novel, right? Uh, Yeah, I think so. I will play that for sure. It's a really, it's a really cool story. You might actually like it, John. It's I wouldn't say it's exactly like VLR, but as a visual novel, I could see it being as interestingly done as VLR. Oh man, I I, I finished VLR. My mind is blown. <laughs> Good lord! Did you beat it really? Yeah, I beat it. Uh, I did everything. Uh, I really did like it, but I, I gotta say. If you can pick up the Vita version, because I ran into a lot of problems on the 3DS, not just the save glitch, but there there was one part where I uh, couldn't see one of the puzzle screens. The puzzle screen just went away, and I couldn't bring it back. I remember that, yeah. And I was like, uh, what? And there was another one where, like, the, the resolution was so poor on, on, like, a picture that I couldn't make out what it was. And so I had to look online to figure it out. So, great game, but I would recommend the Vita version of that one if, if you got a choice but still awesome good lord story was incredible can't wait to find out more yeah me neither in two years <laughs> yeah, <sighs> if we're lucky uh tales of zillia 2 was announced Woo-hoo! for release which is interesting since i would have expected namco to wait on sales for tales of zillia 1 but uh definitely a shock, we're, yeah. yeah we're all for this i was i was curious what you thought john because a lot of times, I know Namco has based, like they said, when Tales of Legendia came out, they go, we're not going to release Abyss unless Legendia does well. And I don't think Legendia did well, so they kind of threw us a bone. But what I, do you I, think I, of all this stuff being localized that is most definitely not going to sell 100 billion copies like Project I, X? I, I think that they've probably found where their profitability balance is, where they know exactly how much they need to spend on the localization to sell X amount of copies. To make money? Yeah. Say, because we're seeing a lot of localizations that I would not have expected. There was, and I, oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say, there's been really, there's been a lot of growing demand for the Tales games in particular over the last few years, just because we haven't gotten one in quite a while. Um, before Graces, I mean, there were several years where we didn't get any out here, and the fan base was getting really, really loud about it. So I think. I'm sure it's a marketing decision for sure, but the marketing decision was based on the amount of demand, which went way up from where it was back when Vesperia came out. I think it's particularly telling that they're not localizing either of the Vita ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they they, 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 they yeah they straight up said they go not enough people have Vitas for us to warrant doing it. And and I think that that's it's interesting to note that pretty much all of the the Tales games that they're localizing right now are coming out on PS3. Yeah, I, I think I think they definitely know where their audience is. Yeah, well, that's where the yeah the most people like PS3 is the JRPG system more so than the 360 ever was, and anybody that wants to play a Japanese RPG that's current gen has a PS3 because the system is pretty old at this point. So, what do you mean you didn't like Infinite Undiscovery? No, that game was. A <laughs> but there they also Starting there was an interview with with. Uh, Hideo Baba, and he was saying, they were asking him if he planned on making a Tales game for the PS4 right now, and he was like, no, 
because we're going to keep it on the system where the most fans can experience it. So I'm sure Namco Bandai is along with that. And that's always been what it has been. I mean, it wasn't until like late 2002 that Final Fantasy X came out. Yeah, or was it 2001? Uh, Gosh, I don't remember. 2001. Uh, I, I want to say 2001 because yeah, you know, nine you know came out in 99, didn't it? Yeah. You know how I know it was 2001 because September 11th happened, and I remember I had my copy of uh, Final Fantasy at school with me. Well, that's macabre. No, September you could, no, Wait a minute. No, you couldn't have had it. I, I just I know the class that I found out about the 9/11 attacks in was also a class that I brought 10 to one day because no, I brought you, it to class. No, no, J- Stephen, I literally don't think that's possible because 10 was released in like December of 2001. No, it was released on my birthday in 2001, July 19th. No, it. You guys. Oh, wait, are, that no, may be Japan. That's wrong. Japan. That's Japan. Yeah, you're right. It was December 17th, 2001 Thank in North you. America. Well, I had it in that class. <laughs> September 11th. Uh, 2001 was the original release date for Advance Wars in the GBA. Oh. Yeah, I remember being really pissed off about it because I was a petulant child, and I was like, what do you mean the mall's closed today? Oh, God. Uh, (laughs) I just just remember that was, like, one of the best years in gaming because it was, like, uh, Devil May Cry, Metal Gear Solid 2, Grand Theft Auto 3, and I didn't even realize it, but, like, Final Fantasy X came out at the very end of the year, and I was like, oh, my God, like, crazy. Yeah, I I like Final Fantasy X a lot. Uh, yeah, I like it until you realize the story is kind of... Oh my god, shut up. I'm sorry, I ha- can we talk about the half an hour extra ending? Oh yeah, that'll that'll clear things up. There's nothing to clear up, they already ruined it. I know, I love the ending to 10. I, I mean, the, the rest but, of the story is kind of crazy, but I love the ending. The, what it boils down to is 10 has awesome gameplay, so That's I am more than happy to play it again on Vita with cool graphics. It, is that why they completely ripped it out and turned it into a Lord of the Rings game? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> a really bad Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Oh god, where you're playing as like uh, a not Gandalf, but like yeah. Gan- Ganfalf. Yeah. You're playing as Ganfalf, Araforn, Agalas, and like Boromir. <laughs> like I, I just I I remember being at EA for a pre-release uh, event for that, and and just watching like they show up like between. When uh, the the party leaves the Balrog and when Gandalf fights it, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" Oh, man. That, that, what you want to talk about EA being an evil company out for money? Like that was the worst of it. Just like that, what? I, I that was EA at that point in time. Yeah. I mean, that that was the uh, the Larry Probst EA. <laughs> I didn't mean to deal derail there, but uh, yeah, we're getting a new uh, new thirty minute something in the final fantasy 10 and 10 2 remasters i mean i i th- you know what i'm fine with it i don't like the ending of 10 2 but i'm also not against them putting that much effort into yeah the port it, it's one of those things where this is for the fans and i think the fans will want more I, i'm a fan of less is more when it comes to endings like i love the ending to seven for example like i love how ambiguous it is and advent children kind of ruined it for me but i'll just always look back at seven and be like that's my ending I like that ending for that game. I mean, I, I like I, I like both. I just don't like that one part of 10-2's ending. Yeah. But anyways, more news. Uh, NIS America announced a pair of games. Uh, Danganronpa Tri- Trigger Happy Havoc, which is a uh, visual novel from uh, Spike Chunsoft, uh, the the guys who developed VLR and, and 999, though it's oh. from a different... Yeah, it's from a different team. Oh... Uh, it's, it's like a weird murder mystery crazy game. 
yeah, you're you're stuck in a school with other chosen students and they're murdering each other and you need to find out who this little bear Monokuma is. And <laughs> You got the latest news story about uh, the next Ace Attorney? I, I am not even done with this news story. Uh, I'm sorry, John. I got excited. We were talking about visual novels and stuff. Uh, NIS also announced uh, Demon Gaze, which is a, a dungeon crawler from Experience Inc., um, it's a dungeon crawler. That that's Yay. like I, I'm reading this news story that that uh, Liz wrote, and it's like all the details are like it's a dungeon crawler. <laughs> yeah, I don't well, you know what? a lot of screens for that that really made it stand out to me. And I, you know, what? I, I have to admit, I think it's still going to sell to the chosen audience because, especially as I've seen reviewing a couple of dungeon crawlers for us. People aren't looking for a unique experience. They're looking for, I picked my classes, I'm, I and I customize it, and now I'm trolling the dungeon and grinding. And if they They're do looking that, for, right? It's a dungeon crawler. Yeah, it, it, you know, so, and there's nothing wrong with that, because I, I enjoy that kind of experience, too. So it could very well be they haven't told you much about it, because that's what there is to tell. It's a dungeon crawler. Right, yeah. Okay. Uh, Axis, the same day, announced that they're bringing Sorcery Saga over to North America. Which is a uh, curry or uh, an RPG where you make curry. Yes. Aren't you in pursuit of the legendary curry or something. Yes, you you are you are going into dungeons trying to find ingredients for your legendary curry recipe. I I really going, like curry, but I don't know if I could play a whole game about it. I'm going to buy that game, and it's going to be amazing. Curry's awesome, and that concept is awesome. So bought. Tasty. Cool. Mm, um. The Final Fantasy uh, 10-10-2 remaster uh, is getting a uh, limited edition pre-order bonus for PS3 owners. It's got a nice little art book and a, and a package that's got pretty much it's pure black with the, the logo. So, I what see what it? you're doing there, pandering, calling it a nice little art book, Mr. Objective. <laughs> Wait, what, what game? I'm ribbing on John because he said he doesn't read his art books, and he was like, it's got a nice little art book. They're talking about 10 and 10, too. The oh, okay. Edition. Yeah, that's a cool cover. Does it come with uh, Real Emotion? Uh, no. The verse. Yes, it comes with a cassette of Real Emotion. Oh, God. No, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, shloop. Nipponichi is bringing out uh, a game called Battle Princess of Arcadia. Which is um, some kind of game. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think John's out of practice on the Please, news. No, like I'm reading this. I'm reading this news story, and, and like it's long, and there's how there's awesome is your game, John? It's <laughs> so awesome. Uh, oh boy. Yeah, it comes out okay. September 26th in Japan. I have no idea. Like, all of this detail is about this story. There's nothing here about, like, how how the actual battle system works. I don't know if this is an action RPG or not. <laughs> you don't even know what the game is. Maybe this no. is a game where you also find curry. This, this could be. I don't know. But it's coming. It looks kind of like uh, Project Cross Zone. Like, people running back and forth at each other in the combat sequences. Yeah, that game is bad. Do we all hate that game? Like, it's fun for a few hours. What, Project Crosstown? No, I don't hate yeah. it. It's just, it gets really boring. Like It's like, once you get to, to like, Battle 10, 
every battle from then on out is super long and super tedious. And the game is not tough or strategic in a way that it's like, oh, I need to think about this. It's I'm going to move this guy over here, and if he's low on health, I'm going to heal him. Yep. And that's it. I was watching uh, one of the quick looks of um, what you use, uh, Fire Emblem Awakening on Giant Bomb, and I, I, I'm glad I just remember Giant Bomb. Uh, I think I speak for everybody on the podcast. We 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 recorded before uh, before the tragedy. Uh, Ryan Davis passed away. Uh, about a week ago, uh, almost two weeks ago now, and I just wanted to, you know, wish him, his family, uh, his friends, everybody, like, that's a huge blow for gaming podcasts. The Giant Bombcast is a lot of fun to listen to, and Ryan Davis will be uh, sorely missed. You know, heart goes out to him there. Um, but Great. yeah, I, I'm watching the Fire Emblem thing, and I, I, everyone's talking about how you need to use tactics, and they were playing in this one environment where it was like, if they just put two guys in these two positions, the enemies can only come at them one at a time. I'm like, why is this hard, and why isn't anyone doing that? Like, Well, they're, one, the enemies will not move towards you unless... like, It's got the same, the same strategy RPG tropes where enemies will only move at you if you get close to them. Yeah, so you can kind of like lure them out a little bit. But it's... <sighs> Like, once you get to a certain point in the game, you can do that. Like, if if you have Donald and main character, <laughs> like, built up to a certain point, you can just be like, okay, I'm grouping these guys together, and I'm going to set them here in the middle of this group of enemies, and then I'm going to do nothing. Yeah, it, it kind of just seemed like I, I was watching it, and people were talking about how... Like, they really had to use careful tactics and, and whatnot, and I think that gets to what Derek and Steven were mentioning before, is that that game is very much tuned to the, like, a character dies and you lose them for good, because otherwise you could just completely game the system and not even have any trouble with it. So I guess that's where the difficulty comes from, is, like, trying to keep all of your characters alive. Well, yeah, because if, if like, if Donald were to die in my game, which is pretty much impossible... But <laughs> it's because he takes like zero damage from he everything. Take, he takes zero damage and counters for like three times their health. <laughs> but if Donald were to die, like I could not win any battle because Donald is is literally my army. Yeah. Huh, weird. <laughs> like if you were to if if I were playing Warhammer or some other game, it's like they, those games are set up where you have a certain number of points for your army. If if Fire Emblem were set up that way, we like okay. You have a thousand point army. Okay, I put out Donald. All right, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he's a, and he wears the freaking pot on his head too. <laughs> no matter how tough he gets, he's just like, dude, I'm Donald, and I married him off to the princess just because I thought it would be hilarious. I still want to play it. And now they're doing a thirty dollar uh, e shop. Yeah, if. Yeah, you... if... If you buy that and Shin Megami Tensei 4, you get 30 bucks on the eShop for about a month. That's uh, kind of a no-brainer. They reward yeah. you for buying good games. Yeah. yeah, like both of those games are fantastic. So if you own a 3DS, buy both of them. Get $30 on the eShop, and it'll pay for most of your copy of Mario & Luigi. Should I get Mario & Luigi or Mario 3D Land? Mario Luigi. Do you, really? do you want to play an RPG or a platformer? <laughs> I don't know, honestly. I mean... Well, I actually, I don't generally love Mario games, and I thought Mario 3 Land was pretty fun. I'm really liking uh, Luigi's Mansion, except I don't understand why they had to just, like, it, it, Shin Megami Tensei, well, Shin Megami Tensei 4 does it so well with it's like, you get to save wherever you want. All they needed to do was drop the mission structure in Luigi's Mansion, yep. and it would be, yep. like, a phenomenal game instead of just a really, really good one. You, 
remember me saying all this to you? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I was like, oh, that's I remember not you saying it to me. I was like, that's not going to bother me that much. And then after like the 14th mission, I'm like... No, it re- I, I hate it when games do that because it, it compartmentalizes it and it really takes you out of it. Yeah, like I would love it if that game was just the one giant mansion or just let you go in between the mansions and solve it at your own pace. Like that game is built for me. It's all about exploration and just tooling around with a world. I love it. But like, why? Why? You jerks? I don't know. I don't because know. Because terrorists. Uh, Thanks, that's Obama. exactly right. <laughs> All right. Uh, NIS also announced a uh, September 27th release date for Disgaea D2, A Brighter Darkness, uh, <laughs> on top of a couple of collector's editions. Uh, both of them contain a uh, full full color hardcover art book, a two-disc soundtrack, the collector's box, five collector's art cards, and mini figurines of Etna and Flan. Uh, that version is eighty four ninety nine, and then at uh, uh, one oh four ninety nine, you also get a hardcover strategy guide. Dude, dude! If you don't want any of those things, the game is just fifty bucks. Is that PS three and Vita or just PS three? Uh, okay. I don't know. Do I want to do another Disgaea? I feel like I got enough out of the original Disgaea. If you like yeah. the first Disgaea, every Disgaea after it is Disgaea. Yeah, pretty much. That's kind of disappointing, huh? Like, you know how, how I said the one game was just a dungeon crawler? It's yeah. like, th- this description <laughs> reads that it's a dungeon crawler. If you were re- to read the most accurate description of uh, Disgaea Sky, D2, it would be, it's it'd be Disgaea. like, it's Disgaea. <laughs> with, it's, a te- it's a tactic RPG with big numbers yeah. and printies. So Dude! If you, I, like, I saw it at E3. It's Disgaea. If you like Disgaea, it's Disgaea. But All if, right. you don't, if you don't like Disgaea, it's Disgaea. Okay, moving on. Yeah. Uh, Deep Silver is going to distribute Wasteland 2. Uh, what this means to you, probably nothing. <laughs> um, that means that Deep Silver, the publishers of Dead Island, Saints Row, and uh, Risen are going to bring it to retail. Uh, they're not involved at all with any of the creative process or anything else. Is that a September release for Wasteland 2? October. Uh, October. October. Okay, because Shadowrun returns first. And then Shadowrun Shadowrun returns is out a week from next week, a week from tomorrow. Yep. Woohoo. Which I got my key for that. Yes. So did I. I haven't gotten mine yet. They're doing them. They're rolling them out. So just keep an eye on your email. Check your spam folder. Folders. Roll it out. How how early? This is interesting. How early did you donate to that project, Steve? I. Oh, okay. Pretty early. I don't. I don't remember exactly when. I mean, it was within the first week. I pre-ordered. I didn't donate. Oh, then you. You don't count. I'm sorry. I like it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, no, Steven and I both donated on Kickstarter because we, we liked the project before it was made. Before it was cool? <laughs> hipsters. Freaking hipsters. hipsters. I liked Shadowrun before it was cool. I liked Shadowrun before it was I, Shadowrun. Shadowrun, I think, was the very first Kickstarter I backed. That was one of the first ones. So this Yeah, was, it was the first one I backed. Th- this yeah. is an important game. Like I've been listening to a lot of podcasts that will rename nameless and people are kind of like bagging on Kickstarter right now. And I think now with some of these releases coming out, like we get to see like, are well, people going to be happy with the money that they contributed? Well, the thing with Kickstarter. Oh, go ahead. I'll let Steven go the, first. The thing with Kickstarter is that people have to realize that you fund a project. That's not a guarantee that it's going to be good. Yeah. It's a like, gamble. Like how did they like, what are people like Kickstarter is a failure. I'm like, no, some of them are going to be good. Like FTL. FTL is incredible. Be, and like, some of them are going to be crappy. 
Yeah. Like, how, I don't understand how people are not getting this. Like, they didn't say, we guarantee this game will be awesome. We said, this is what it's going to have. And if it has that, and it still sucks, they didn't short you. Yeah, you know, how many developers have come out and been like, yeah, our game, kind, kind of a six? Yeah, no, it, what it comes down to is, you know, Shadowrun Returns made $1.8 million. It doesn't matter how much funding you have. I mean, like, Duke Nukem Returns was a crappy game. <laughs> Daikatana was a crappy game. And those games had funding forever. And for the most part, the, the Kickstarter projects are either based on franchises from new teams, like Shadowrun Returns is, is a relatively new developer working on it, or it's, you know, big names like Tim Schafer that are, are getting the money. Game development is a long and arduous process. Yeah. And, and I'm going to be completely honest, most developers aren't business people. They don't know, like, I, I've read so many, like, projects and look at the funding and go, there is no possible way you can get anywhere close to this. Yep. yep. Because they just don't understand how much money it takes to make something or how much money you need to appropriate to things. Yep. Yep. I won't like mention I, I won't mention that one Kickstarter that's gonna apparently go back up here in a week. Let's see what happens there on round two. I, God, I, I just, it just makes me think of like, cause some people have laid out, they're like, this is how much money we want and this is how we're going to spend it. And it's yeah. just, it's completely unrealistic. It's like, I, I saw one for, uh, for a magazine and it was like, oh yeah, we're going to need $2,000 for layout for 12 issues. And I'm like, $2,000 isn't going to pay for half your layout artist for one issue. Yeah. I kind of like how the Shadowrun guys did it where they were like, hey, this is what we have a vision for. And they kind of said, hey, with this much money, we were able to get this into the game. And then other things are like, yeah, we wanted to do this, but we just weren't able to meet it. But they never promised it. And I yeah. think that's the important thing. They were very open and transparent about, hey, this is the stuff that we were able to get into the game. And I, I agree with you. I think saying, hey, if we reach $400,000, this is what you get. If we reach a million dollars, this is what you get. No, that's that's not how it works, guys. Like, and I think that when you donate to a Kickstarter, it's if you put in 200 bucks, it's not like, okay, I'm going to get, you know, the super collector's edition of Call of Duty. You know, I know exactly what I'm going to get. It's you're donating 200 bucks for these guys in the hope that you're going to get what you want. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. Yep. So let, let's see what happens with some of these Kickstarters. I, I'm I'm not going to say Kickstarter is dead. I think that I think a lot of Kickstarter projects started to happen where I went, hmm. I don't know if people oh. want that. I, I think that a combination of the flooding in the market and then having developers that don't know how much money they need to do what they want. Yeah. Or you get, and, and I some of these one-man teams do fantastic jobs, but sometimes seeing one-man teams with these these really big dreams that you know that they can't achieve. Yeah, yeah. But still, I will go back to what Steven said. FTL is awesome. Yeah. And it's a long process. I mean, I was just looking at Shadowrun Returns. Shadowrun Returns funded April 29th of last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it's been a it's, while. It, yeah. So it's been over a year, and I'm sure that they were working on the project before the Kickstarter went up. Yep, yep. Looking forward to Wasteland 2, though. Looks uh, looks good. Uh, I was impressed with their gameplay reveals. Same with the Shadowrun Returns guys. I think there's good things afoot. Top They're going to be interesting, yes. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch. Indeed. Okay, I got one news story left. Okay. Uh, 
Etrian Odyssey Untold, The Millennium Girl, is coming out October 1st. Um, if you don't know what this is, it's a remake of the original Etrian Odyssey game for 3DS. Um, and it's got a story mode where there's you've got a preset party and it plays more like a classic RPG as opposed to a dungeon crawler. If you don't want that and you just want to play more Etrian Odyssey, draw your maps, fight your dudes, there's a classic mode that will let you do just that. Dude! I think it's, I, cool, they, I think it's cool they did that. I yeah, I... Oh, good. No, I, I'm. It's cool that I'm not not about the feature in the game, and I'm glad that it's coming out here. But I'm personally like, it's coming out so soon after four that I haven't had time to get enthusiastic about it again. Yeah, didn't so. four come out in like April of this year? Yeah, yeah. It just yeah, came out. not too long ago. Yeah, I mean that's literally six months later. Yeah, so I, I don't Wait, know. Is Koei making this game? What is Koei making this game? <laughs> no, it's, it's uh. It's Atlas again, isn't it? No, no, I, I'm making a joke. Ah. You remember how we were talking about Dynasty Warriors yes. earlier? Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's cool. I'm glad they're doing it. I just, I'm a little surprised it's coming so soon. And I almost wish they would have put their resources into something else, but that's just me being really selfish. So I wouldn't want them to not bring it over just because I'm not ready for it yet. Uh, I agree with you. I like to have some downtime between games. Like, I, yeah. I, I, I you know, I'd rather take a little bit of a break in between things and, you know, let my love for that come back and then, you know, wow me with a sequel. Not saying the sequel's going to be bad, but, like... Yeah, like, know, with Dark, the, Dark Souls 2, I wouldn't have wanted that a year or even like even half a year and a half after Dark Souls 1. Like, that's... Yeah, you gotta let your wounds scar a little bit <laughs> yeah, before seriously. you can get back into that. You, you gotta have time to develop, you know, like, post-traumatic stress disorder and stuff on yeah, it. Yeah, you gotta go back and look. Yeah, you know what? Lord Gwyn and Orstein and Smell, they weren't so bad. They weren't so bad. Is that it for news there, John? I'm done. All right, so let's uh, wrap this thing up. Uh, first off, I want to give a, another shout-out to Derek and Steven's awesome podcast, Rhythm Encounter. Uh, you guys got another episode in the works? I think you just released one, right? Uh, yep. well, we released an interview with Ivy Tran, who is the composer behind Soul Saga, which just got kickstarted, and Cry More, which got kickstarted a while ago, um, and some other cool albums. So, yeah, that's our most recent episode. Cool, cool. Uh, and then, as always, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or through the RSS feed. We're at 48 reviews, guys. We're at 48. Keep coming. Let's get to 50. We're going to get there. We're, we're, we're going to keep saying it, but every single review that you guys leave helps us. It really does. Yes. It'll bump us up. It'll make us more visible. So we, we appreciate it. Please keep doing it. And we love you. Yep. Unless, it, you have, unless you have bad things to say, in which case, shut up. And every time you don't give us a friendly review, a... I don't know. A demon dies in Shin Megami Tensei. I guess we'll we'll go with that. Uh, By the way, my favorite character in four is Steven. <laughs> because his name is Steven. No, because I like his character. What do you think? And I'm shallow. Does he have a cool chair. <sighs> Team Walter, man. Team Walter yeah, all the way. Walter. I don't ever go chaos. Like John? Team Walter. <laughs> Team Walter. <laughs> Team Walter. <laughs> yes. So thanks again for listening to Random Encounter. What follows now is our interview with some of the guys who are making Shadowrun Returns. So stay tuned.
Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to another of our developer interview series. I'm joined today with Jordan Weissman from Shadowrun Returns, and we've got some questions to ask him about the big release coming up. So go ahead, Jordan, and introduce yourself. Hey, guys and girls, it's Jordan Weissman uh, from Hairbrain Schemes, and we're uh, we're really psyched to uh, to be about to ship this game we've been working so hard on for a year. Yep, we're recording this uh, Thursday afternoon right now, and the game comes out uh, next. What is it? Wednesday? <laughs> next Thursday. Week next from Thursday. Today. Excellent, excellent. I got my Steam beta key in the email the other day, and I was really excited. It feels like it's actually going to happen. <laughs> it's because it is. Awesome, awesome. So uh, a couple of questions for you today. Uh, we'll try to keep the interview as short as possible, but uh, I wanted to start by saying you guys have really opened up uh, the class system in the game. You have all the different classes from the Shadowrun universe. How do you go about creating gameplay that can be enticing for somebody who wants to play a Decker, a really hacking character class, or somebody that wants to play a Samurai that's more like a melee tough guy? Like, How do you go about doing that? Well, you know, it's it is a challenge, and one of the one of the challenges we um, one of the very large challenges we gave for ourselves was op- opening up uh, that that choice, that character design choice uh, at, in our campaign, so that people could choose any kind of any of the races and any of the uh, the kind of starting archetypes, uh, and that is a real challenge to 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 try to make sure that every archetype feels like they've got enough to do in the course of of the campaign. Now, part of the reason we did that is because we don't view this, uh, we don't view Shadowrun by this one campaign. Right, this 12-hour campaign that's coming with the game, we don't view that as the story of Shadowrun. We view that as the first story of Shadowrun. And between the the tools that we've released to the audience, you know, that every person who buys the game is going to have the complete editor, uh, as well as our campaign in editor format, so they can take it and go anywhere they want with it, uh, as well as create wholly original content. Uh, we think that we it was important for us to open up all the archetypes because. Um, in the hopefully enormous number of campaigns that are going to be created and stories are going to be created, every archetype is going to be able to to have you know plenty to do. Mm-hmm. In in the twelve hour campaign we did, we tried to make sure that there were you know a handful of, of places in the campaign that each archetype got to shine. You know, you, you mentioned the Deckers. Uh, well, that's you know that's a key part. There are a number of places where there's kind of small uh, hacking things, but then there's a, a handful of really big matrix runs where the Decker actually gets to go off on and do the Matrix run itself. Mm-hmm. So we, we tried to find those kind of points. Same with the rigor. You know, a lot, you can always use your drones in combat, but there are places in the campaign where, you know, the drones can go places that other people can't. Mm-hmm. So we look, we tried to find, you know, I guess a handful of each of those examples for every archetype throughout the campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the different character classes and the different races, does that open up like new dialogue options? Like does an orc character kind of get to be the tough, burly guy when he's talking to somebody? Uh, when you in when you do the dialogue options in the game uh yes uh, again it's on a per per instance basis so the dialogue system allows um the the creator of the dialogue to branch dialogue based on you know any of the attributes of the characters so what race he is uh, any of his you know any of its strength uh we you know any of the the, the actual attribute strength uh body dexterity so on uh or any skill sets uh, as well as as well as items that you're carrying, mm-hmm. so uh, dialogues can can branch and give the players all sorts of those kind of options. Now, again, in the scope of the game we have, we couldn't make every single conversation ha- reflect all those choices, all those options um, for every type of character and every type of archetype and uh, every type of skill set. So, different conversations throughout the game 
reflect those in different ways. And so you'll again have those handful of opportunities for each one where it's like, oh, there's a conversation which which I have an option to go down because I'm the big burly troll that the elf wouldn't have had. Or here's a here's a conversation which I'm getting presented options because I have a really high charisma and you know, and so on. So it it does indeed have impact throughout the game. Um, but again in the scope it's we've had to check you know pick and choose to make sure that that we spread that out appropriately mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, you've obviously you already talked about how you included all the mod tools in the game so people can create their own campaigns are we going to be releasing these campaigns uh, through steam so people can easily download them uh, have we thought about a service for doing that just yet well right now yeah the 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 service that that is is the tightest bundled in is uh is steam so you can use the steam workshop to upload and download content right out of the box uh sneaker networks too um you can you know uh, make your your make your system and make your uh uh adventure and you know put it on a thumb drive and bring it over to your friend's house or put it up on a, uh, a Google drive and have your friend copy it down as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just a little bit more complicated because they have to like figure out where they have to figure out where in the file structure to put it in. Uh, but it, it works. Uh, but yeah, the easiest way is to upload and download through, uh, through the steamed workshop. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool, cool. Uh, now you mentioned the uh, the hacking, which you know I I predominantly play a Decker character whenever I go back and play the old Genesis Shadow Run. I always play a Decker. I love hacking the Matrix, and you guys included full Matrix runs in the game. And you kind of said uh, in one of your development blogs that that was like something that you guys wanted to include. You really wanted to get this Matrix element in there, but it's kind of a separate piece. Like you can't hack every terminal. So how does that work in the game? Well, yeah. So we uh, we knew from the beginning that we we just didn't have the scope uh, to deliver <clears throat> an entirely u- unique experience for decking. Excuse me. <clears throat> you know, just uh, to be able to go off and and have uh, some kind of real time, fully immersive three D uh, experience and uh, and have it un- ubiquitously available anytime that you hit a potential jack in point. <clears throat> and so we tried to. Um, uh, to look at all sorts of kind of mini game solutions, like uh, kind of what the Sega Genesis did, uh, mm. but we never found one that was very satiating to us, and so uh, we ended up backing off um, and uh, going to 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 do a much more robust uh, implementation of the Matrix than we had originally intended to do. Uh, and so, yeah, now at this point, um, uh, there are. Uh, through our campaign, uh, a handful of Matrix runs where uh, the Decker can jack in and goes off to the into the Matrix, which they can explore, and it's interwoven with with what we call in Shadowrun Meat World, mm-hmm. right? Um, <clears throat> so that there are three rounds of actions in uh, the Matrix for every one round in Meat World, um, and your character, the the Decker, is is there, you know. Um, unconscious uh, in Meat World, uh, and so we were able to capture uh, a lot of that kind of drama that we always wanted to do in the pen and paper game, where you know you 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 got those two worlds overlapping with each other and interdependent on each other, uh, which is to us I think you know to me the the key for Shadowrun was ideally three worlds right the astral plane as well all three of these mm-hmm. planes of existence um, uh, inter- interweaving and, and interdependent on each other and so in this game we've managed to get two of those three worlds uh, with the the matrix and the um, the game now you you can't go into the matrix from from any you know any computer or any jackpoint uh, we because again that requires us a lot of content load to develop the environment of the matrix and mm-hmm. all of the opponents that you fight and you know the puzzles that you solve there uh, but again from a from a content creation standpoint uh, we've created the tools so that well ourselves as we move on to Berlin and, and other 
uh, content creators now with the with the editor can you know can make environments that are as matrix rich as they want. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you could have the scenario where the decker is jacked into the matrix and doing a full matrix run, and because of the way the turn system works in Meat World, you could have like two samurai trying to back them up while they're doing the the deck run. Do you go back and forth in between those because it's a turn based system, or how do you guys handle that? Just just to make sure that I'm not the decker who ends up staying in there way too long, and my samurai end up getting killed. <laughs> you do go back and forth, right? So as Shadowrun is a party game it's a it's a team right and the inter the interdependency of the skills of the team is what makes makes a success so yeah as you said you've got two samurai uh in meat world that are defending the uh the decker's body as he goes into the into the matrix to go unlock the doors that they need to be able to get through or turn on you know cameras so they can see what's in the next room mm-hmm. or you know affect the poison gas to flood into the game you know into the chambers where the guards are at whatever it can be really that powerful and that diverse uh and so he gets when he on as you go through the turn rotation when you activate your samurai he gets his his you know ap spend in meat world and then when you activate the the decker he gets three rounds of ap spending in the matrix okay cool right so he gets because things just move faster when they're you know, digital. So he's he gets three full rounds of combat or adv- or exploring in the matrix on his turn. Then it goes back for the for the street samurai to get his one one round. Yeah, it, it sounds like you guys are making good on the. Uh, I, I remember the original box for the. I, I know you worked on the the SNES Shadowrun, but for me the Genesis one was was my baby. Like that's the one I played on Sega Channel as a kid, and I remember the box for the Genesis Shadowrun, and you had one guy who was decking, and then two people who were like defending him and getting into a shootout. And it feels like you guys are really creating that fantasy right now of having multiple things going on and not just having a scenario where oh this is the decker's part. No, the decker is taking an active role in the combat scenario or whatever else is going on in the world i really really like that well that's indeed what we're shooting to do because that was always the the promise of the universe right right uh now it sounds like we can't get the astral plane in this game are there maybe any thoughts about getting that down the road uh, we'd love to. Um, you know, hopefully uh, the sales of this game uh, give us the ability to continue to add uh, more and more to this game. I mean, it, you know, we in doing this all, you know, as happy as we are with it, we have a long list of things we'd love to do, and so hopefully, uh, hopefully the marketplace gives us that opportunity to do so. Uh, so yeah, we'd uh, we'd love to do it. Uh, now there is obviously a lot of magic in this game, right? Mm-hmm. You've got mages, and you've got and you've got shaman, and you've got physical adepts, and all you know, uh, really rich spell systems, uh, and uh, spirit, spirit conjuring, and all that kind of stuff. That's all in the all in this game. Cool, cool. Uh, this interview is actually going into uh, an episode that we recorded on character classes, and we talked about the character classes that we choose, and that seems to be like a major focus of the new Shadowrun game. Uh, how do you go about making sure that each character class is fun? I mean, you guys have a huge number of different styles of play in the game, and just what what do you guys do? Like, how do you how do you sit down and actually come up with fun character classes and making sure that everyone's having a good time? no matter how they choose to play it, well it's a really tough balancing act and we as we said we made it harder on harder on ourselves by mm-hmm. by opening it up that wide um, but well I think the, for the key thing for us was to look at um, kind of what each uh, you know archetype because 
unlike a character class in like a D&D game or something like that, uh, where once you choose a character class, you are only advancing in that class. In Shadowrun, it's a classless system. Mm-hmm. So you we, we start with a with an archetype, which is a, a set of initial skills. But then as you spend karma after that point, you can take your character any way you want. So you can start off as a mage and have some basic mage spells, you know, skills, but then start spending all your karma on uh, ranged weapons and mm-hmm. become, uh, you know, an expert marksman while still being able to throw a fireball, right? So Shadowrun is really wide open in that regard. You can become just this incredible mixture of all these different types of, of skills and abilities. Uh, and that's part of what the, the Shadowrun uh, p- paper game was uh, was so unique of at the time when it came out. Um, and it's also, you know, again, challenging because the characters could become players can really take their characters in incredibly unique uh, directions. Uh, if we look at the core archetypes, right, um, they, we tried to find what is the, f- the fun of every core archetype. Well, obviously, the street samurai, you know, he is your, he's your muscle, right? He is, he is you know, moves his way up to wired reflexes and smart guns and, you know, has this incredible ability to project firepower in the physical plane, right? Um, you know, the mages are, uh, you know, about projecting magical power in that plane but they also then are able to do um you know much more with sensing of environment uh they use environment so for instance there are ley lines in the uh in the game where if a mage is on a ley line then his cooldown on his spells gets reduced and he's able to be much more uh, effective you know mm-hmm. uh, so there's a uh and then you know onto the riggers who have the the put their consciousness into drones, which then they can travel around corners, go through different environments, you know, go through small environments where where characters won't fit, um, and, and then contribute to uh, uh, you know out out combat as well. The other thing that's cool about them, like Shaman, is that they can control more than one drone at a time. Mm-hmm. So um, you can have you know that that one character can become effectively three characters on your team. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, the shaman do the same from a magical point of view, right? They're able to uh, conjure uh, spirits, uh, both from things they find in the environment as well as uh, magical fetish they carry with them. Um, so again, they get that multiplicative effect of, of being able to spawn characters when needed. <clears throat> now, the interesting thing with, the, with them, unlike the drones, is that um, the, the spirits are more powerful than the drones, um, but they're also living things, and so the more you push for to get out of them, the more likely they are to rebel and break away from their master. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have to run that risk-reward relationship between how much am I asking for, how many AP am I going to ask this guy to spend this turn, and the percentage chance that they're going to break away from the shaman and go rogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In which case, then they can turn and attack your own team. Yeah. I, I, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of drawn between the decker and the rigger and i'll probably try to make something in the middle ground because i we we've, we talked on the show about how we really like pet classes and i love the matrix angle and shadow runs so maybe start off as a decker and then move into a rigger what what kind of character class do you typically play when you're playing at jordan i tend to uh you know i'm i'm a fan of pyrotechnics i'll admit so <laughs> uh i tend to 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 my Lady Z, which is one of the characters I demoed uh, early on, uh, is com- combo street samurai uh, and mage, and uh, that way you get a lot of you get a lot of explosive bang for your buck. Cool, cool. Uh, so there was um, 
I want to say just a little bit of controversy when you guys announced that you weren't going to have a full inventory system. And I I think that, you know, a couple message boards kind of blew up a little bit and people were were wondering about the customization options. So I I wanted to give you like a platform to kind of address that. Like you guys don't have a full inventory system, but how does that impact, you know, character building and that sort of thing? Yeah, by all means. I I think um, uh, there is a... Uh, maybe some misconceptions on, on terms of where, where we are with the game. Uh, in term, the, the game has an inventory system, right? You, as you, you purchase guns, you purchase spells, you purchase um, consumables such as medical packs and uh, things like that, med packs. Um, and though there is a stash in where all of your stuff is kept, mm-hmm. um, uh, which is kind of, if you will, out of, ga- you know, out of game stash. Uh, when you are going on a run, you can equip from your stash to your character. Right, uh, and your character only has so many slots for being able to carry things uh, at a time. Right, so a, a mage can, depending upon the level of the mage, is how many spells they can be they have equipped at the time. Depending upon the level of street samurai, how many weapons can they carry with them at the same time? Right, and as you move your character up, you those those slots expand. You know, um, so that's that's pretty robust already in terms of how core inventory works. The only thing that differentiates it from a kind of full inventory system, if you will, is that when I buy a particular weapon, right, I'm considered always to have that weapon available via my stash. There is no reason to buy a second copy of that weapon. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's it's like you buy one sword and everybody could equip that sword theoretically. Uh, Well, the only character that you equipped is your own. Oh, okay. 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 So uh, when you when you hire uh, runners to go with you on a run, they come with their equipment, and you don't give them any, right? They uh, come okay. they come fully equipped. So the only only character you're equipping is is the uh, the the player character, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, but yet when you find things in the environment, right, you can you pick them up, and you're asked either to if you want to equip it immediately or put it into your stash. Right. If you if you if you if your slots are full, you can subtract something out of your current slot, put it in stash, and equip the new thing instead. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it's pretty robust. It just doesn't it doesn't qualify underneath the you know kind of full heavy duty inventory system of of some CRPGs. Yeah, it's it's not a loot system like in Diablo or something like that. It doesn't sound like. Uh, yeah, I mean, Shadow One was never really a loot game, right? Right. Uh, because it was about uh, you know it was it was about karma as opposed to loot, right? And it's about you're kind of more of a merc than you are a you know uh, uh, a barbarian walking through you know picking up gold gold coins off of monsters yeah. right right uh, so if you can't handle the inventory on the runners that you hire can you handle their upgrade trees their their skill trees or are you only doing that for your main player character you're, you're only doing that for your, for your player character okay. um, the uh, NPCs uh, that are available for hiring scale up with you as as you get further into the campaign as your karma level builds um, uh, new ones are opening to you that are you know on par with you um, and some of the uh, some of the some uh, existing NPCs kind of upgrade along with you but you're all, the player is only in charge of upgrading uh, and charting the future of their player character mm-hmm. and uh, what kind of side content are we looking at in the game like side quests obviously Shadowrun is all about uh, doing Shadowrun 
runs, doing these runs and gaining money and karma. Do you guys have a lot in addition to the main quest so that people can kind of, you know, our listeners love JRPGs and they love to grind a little bit in these games? Is there that opportunity in Shadowrun Returns? You know, only to a limited extent. Um, uh, again, this is a, a factor of, of kind of time and budget. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, our campaign, the, the, the first campaign is called Dead Man's Switch. And uh, it's a very kind of um, personal story, right? That That is the, the player character's, uh, you know, introduction to Seattle through the through the venue of, of helping a friend. I don't want to go into, you know, put too many spoilers on it. Yeah, keep it quiet. But, keep it quiet. Uh, <laughs> It is it is a very personal directed thing. So it's not uh, it's not a typical, if you will, Shadowrun where Shadowrunner who's being hired by lots of different corporations to do lots of different things. Um, this one is you've got one client and you're you're following that all the way through to the bitter end. There are a couple opportunities, um, of course, the, uh, along that um, along that plot line to go off on side missions, mm-hmm. um, but they're not traditional grind. In other words, you're not going to go back and run them time after time after time. Okay. Right? okay. Well, um, I got tired of carrying the same package in the Genesis Shadowrun over <laughs> again. So. Well, and we, you know, I mean, there was that kind of what we used to call, you know, FedEx gameplay, right? Where it's go pick this up, bring it over here, bring it over here. Yeah, you know, and we didn't want to go there because we didn't think that's 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 not really fun. That that kills time, but it doesn't add, you know, you know, joy to your life. Um, so, so this one is that now. Like Berlin, we're going in a different direction. Berlin is going to be much more uh, the Berlin campaign that we're working on for uh, the, that'll come out later uh, is much more, uh, you know, kind of a mercenary in that regard where you're going to go off on a whole bunch of different runs uh in and not a, not a single storyline as much as we're doing here and of course again you know with the ugc uh with the editor people can make any kind of structure they want from you know a linear epic to uh you know something that's just incredibly broad uh with with as a hub and a hub structure. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so you mentioned the Berlin campaign. Uh, when can we expect that? Uh, what kind of pricing structure are we looking at for that? And is that something that you guys are going to continue to do, like regular campaign updates for the game? Well, we're not. We're, we haven't uh, uh, worked out the date yet that that it's coming out, um, or 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 how we're going to handle pricing on it yet. So all we know is we're going to make it. We're going to make it great. Um, it is uh, so. We we haven't announced any dates on it. We hope we hope we get to do many of those. Um, and again, that'll depend on you know kind of what the audience is and what the audience is looking for. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, and you guys had a great deal of success with Kickstarter, so I wanted to ask you guys, like, what are your thoughts on Kickstarter? I think we've gotten to the the hipster part where now it's it's not cool to like Kickstarter anymore, even though some really cool games are starting to come out. Uh, Shadowrun Returns, uh, FTL is a big game that we all love on the site. Uh, Wasteland Two coming out in October. What are your thoughts on Kickstarter? And you know, not trying to stir the pot there, but but what do you guys think of it? Well, I, I think the uh, the mechanism of crowdfunding is enormously powerful. A game like Shadowrun would not have existed without it. Um, it just is. Uh, it's in the middle ground for a publisher, right? It's it's for like a small studio for us. It would have been too big for us to try to do by ourselves. We never would have been able to do this. Uh, mm-hmm. And for a publisher, it's way too small for them to care about. Right. You know? um, so it's it's in it, it's in that camp where it just wouldn't have gotten done. Um, right. So crowdfunding, I think, is fantastic to be able to enable that kind of thing. Uh, it, it, you know, it's a bit of the wild west, though, and you know, people are uh, 
legitimately worried about getting burned by you know putting their energy and their money and their uh, uh, and their emotions behind projects which uh, either don't come out or, or don't come out as they as they had hoped uh, and that's a part of the process that normally publishers do right it's them who's taking that financial and somewhat emotional risk even for a publisher it's much less emotional <laughs> mm-hmm. but the financial risk right uh, and and crowdfunding pushes that to the to the consumer uh, and so I, you know, that's a challenge. Um, there's no question about it. Uh, and the volume of projects is, is a challenge, but I, I think that this is kind of like web 1.0 versus, you know, web 2.0. I mean, I think it's, it's, uh, uh, something that's, that sh- should and will be around, um, uh, because I think there is value here for both the, uh, the creators and the, and the consumers and the audience and the audience to become closer associated with the creators, uh, in, in a much more symbiotic relationship. Uh, and I think that's, that's a powerful metaphor that's going to continue. Uh, the actual mechanism I, is certainly going to mature, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, just like the just like the web matured, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, I mean, we're excited. We're we're actually we think there's really something there. We're you know about to um, uh, about to announce uh, our second project that we're going to bring to Kickstarter, um, and it's very very different from what we've done here uh, with Shadowrun, as per our title, uh, our name, Hairbrain Schemes. Uh, so we still believe that there's there's a uh, a, a great value in that relationship directly with the consumers. I, there's no question. I mean, our, our relationship with our backers on Shadowrun has been enormously uh, beneficial um, to us to be able to uh, create a game um, with them, you know, for them, and have their voice uh, as part of that. Yeah, yeah. Our, our EIC, John McCarroll, he, we were talking on the last episode, and we, we said that one thing that Kickstarters should really do is is be honest with the community and tell them you know their their expectations and also also keep expectations in check and i think that with the shadow run returns kickstarter like you guys were very honest with the community you didn't set the bar so high and and promise amazing things you guys kind of let the money roll in and say hey this allows us to add this and this allows us to do that so i think the the transparency is i think what a lot of consumers are looking for with kickstarter if you announce a kickstarter and say this is exactly what we're going to do we need this much money for this step and this step and this step well that's maybe not realistic so I, I wanted to applaud you guys for that and and making sure to to keep such a close tie with the community i was constantly checking up on your blogs and seeing things and when i finally saw the matrix for the first time i kind of squealed like a little schoolgirl because i was so excited to remember that type of gameplay um well, I appreciate that, and I think uh, I want to turn around and applaud the audience because a lot of the times, you know, some of the stuff we had to say wasn't always positive, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like even during the Kickstarter itself, we, you know, we got excited. We started talking about features that when we, you know, had a calm moment went, well, there's no way we could do that, right? And we, even during the Kickstarter itself, we backed off some features. And then as you get into development, we knew we, we had to cut features, that which is just part of development, right? right. Uh, and so we were, you know, as you said, we tempted to be very transparent about that with the audience, and and the audience was very supportive. I mean, a lot of people come, ah, oh, I really like that feature, and I was really hoping for it, but I understand it, and I think they made the right call. Um, they were supportive and of that, you know, of the process and uh, and the reality that that things have to get cut to get the game done. You know? Right, right. So I guess you can't tell us what the next uh, Kickstarter project is just yet? Nope, but soon. 
Okay. Okay. No, I can very I can, soon. All right. I'll wait. And then uh, the last question comes from a fellow podcaster, Stephen. He has to ask because when he saw Jake Armitage in the game, he squealed like a little schoolgirl. Are we gonna find out anything about Jake Armitage, or is he kind of just there as an Easter egg for for the fans? What, what's going on with the old amnesiac? <laughs> Uh, you know, Jake is what Jake was one of my favorite characters. Uh, I had uh, a huge amount of fun. Um, you know, when I when I made up his initial storyline uh, in uh, uh, in the SNES game, and uh, and he ends up playing uh, a bigger role here than we thought he was going to to start. So uh, yeah, you you get to find out more about him, and uh, and you get to work with him a lot. Cool, cool. I'm really looking forward to it. So, uh, Jordan, thank you very much for joining us for the interview. Uh, Shadowrun Returns comes out next Thursday, and it's available on Steam. Are you doing any other digital download services or anything like that? Uh, nope, just initially just Steam. All right, cool. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to it, and thanks again, everybody, for listening.